Hello everyone, it's Leslie Scholl with Let's All Flourish. Our topic for the next two weeks will be covering the collective stresses we are sharing with ongoing trauma. The topic of trauma is all around us and it's not new. We have global pandemic trauma, which we've never had before with COVID. We have national, cultural, and racial traumas that have occurred and shaken us to the core to finally start conversations that needed to happen. We also have community traumas and family traumas that have been occurring and continue to occur on a daily basis. And these are just as important and often ignored, but we have to pay attention to these as well. So we have layer upon layer of traumas that are affecting all of us. And when I say they're affecting all of us, certainly I do not claim to say that I'm affected by anyone's trauma more than they are. But what I mean to say, I guess, is we may not know what is going on with the person next to us, but maybe we just need to all be a little bit more aware. Today, as we talk to Brian Faith, not only as a survivor of secondary trauma in the paradise or campfire, also as a teacher who encounters community and family trauma on a daily basis, we will realize that we truly are all in this together. And empathy has never been a more important emotion to be aware of and in tune with. I mean, as I started peeling back the layers on all of this, it made me want to put it on my forehead. I just wanted to write empathy on my forehead and I want to put it on a sticky note on the bathroom mirror, on like every bathroom mirror in my house for everyone in my family to see. And I want to put it next to my desk and I want to put it on my kid's Chromebook and I want to, I just want to write it everywhere because it really does make me realize that, as I said, we don't know what the person next to us or six feet away from us is going through. This week, we will talk to deacon, teacher, parent, community member, Brian Faith, about the stress that a teacher might feel in schools right now. I reached out to Brian specifically because he teaches in Paradise, California, where they have experienced being evacuated when the Oroville Dam was possibly going to fail in 2017, the calamitous campfire that ran through and destroyed the town in November of 2018, and now, like the rest of us, they're dealing with COVID. Next week, we will catch up with students from Paradise and get their perspective, but I wanted to start out with Brian and specifically get the teacher's perspective. 2020 has been quite the year, and we know that. We don't need to revisit it. But prior to that, people around the country have been living through natural disasters to levels that we have not seen before. Pick a part of the country, and it just depends on the time of the year of whether we're seeing floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, fires. Here in California, the floods and fires that have ravaged the state and hundreds of thousands of acres have burned over the last several years, it's unprecedented. I was drawn to Brian Faith, a teacher in paradise, for our discussion today on resilience and grit and trauma in the classroom, on not only 
the last few years, but actually on a daily basis and how it's affecting our teachers. So Paradise, California, for our listeners around the world and across the country, if you don't know, picture it as a lovely little town situated in the foothills of Butte County, California. It was a town of 27,000 about originally, and it was comprised of a lot of people that had lived most of their lives there. There were small business owners, farmers, some people who preferred to be off the grid. Quite frankly, they just wanted to be up in the hills and away. In 2017, Paradise experienced the first in a series of calamities. The first to happen was the evacuation of 180,000 inhabitants from surrounding areas due to the impending doom of the possible collapse of the Oroville Dam. It was terrifying for the people that lived up there, not knowing whether the dam was going to let loose with millions of gallons of water. It didn't collapse, if you happen to be watching that on the news, as you know, but it was terrifying to go through. In 2018, in November of 2018, they faced the campfire, which pretty much obliterated their actual town. They used to have 27,000 inhabitants, and right now they have about 5,000. The reason for that is the fire took out approximately 18,000 structures. They were just flat out destroyed. They only, that only left them with about 5% of the structures, 5% of their structures that were originally in their town remain. So that doesn't leave very much for anyone to live in or work in. So everyone has had to pretty much scatter. They've moved to Idaho and they've moved here into Sacramento and they've just found other places to be. Some of them are still living in trailers around in the area, but not very many are still living in paradise. But now, as our guest, Brian Faith, has said, the first signs of positive forward motion is occurring. They're starting to see the first houses being built, and it's just more of a positive vibe than a negative vibe. When I contacted Brian to talk about how his kids were working through COVID, I thought that's what we would end up talking about. I thought we would talk about his students, but as Brian and I chatted further, I couldn't help but wonder, what about the teachers? And I often end up thinking about teachers because often they go to the back burner. We will be talking about the kids. Oh, yes, we're going to talk about kids and how they're coping and surviving, and we're going to talk about them next week. But first, I want to hear from Brian about the teachers and how they survived. How did they survive the campfire? What was their experience? And specifically, what about secondary trauma? And for those of you who don't know, secondary trauma is defined as indirect exposure to trauma through a firsthand account or narrative of a traumatic event. The reason that this is interesting to me is because teachers do this every day, either they do it on a large one-time scale like this with the campfire or with the floods and the tornadoes and the hurricanes that are going on, or they're doing it on a daily basis with the community and family traumas that are going on with our kids all the time. 
I know we're not always going to be going through a global pandemic, but right now we are. And our teachers are going to hear about it. We're not always going to be going through the cultural awakening, which right now I'm thankful that we are going through it. But our, our teachers are going to be working through that with our kids. And the floods and the hurricanes and all the windstorms and everything, the, the fires, they all seem to be coming more frequently. I don't think that they're magically going to stop. Our teachers are always going to be there. But today, what I want to talk about is this teacher. I want to talk to our teacher, Brian Faith, who has definitely been on the front line and who is not burned out. He is still plugging along and he still shows up every day and who wants the best for his students. And he's trying to figure out how to do that over Google Meet, of all things. We would like to thank Let's All Flourish for sponsoring our podcast today. Let's All Flourish is a health and wellness company impacting wellness for families around the world. Let's All Flourish provides workshops and lectures on lifestyle, exercise, attitude, and nutrition to corporate and private clients. We are currently running a Let's All Flourish boot camp to help kick the cobwebs out of our lives. Whatever you have going on, it may be that you want to drop a few pounds, you may just want to build some routine back in your life, or you want to start drinking more water, you just may feel like you're just off the rails, you want to start living on a budget again. It's a good accountability group. These are all factors that affect our health. You set your goals, we provide the support and guidance. We offer accountability and tools within a virtual group setting, and one-on-one coaching is also available. For more information, contact Let's All Flourish at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at Let's All Flourish. Brian, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. So awesome to see you. And one of the first things that I wanted to ask you, having been through all of the things that you've been through, I first reached out to you and you were like, oh my gosh, Leslie, these kids have been through so much, (laughs) right? November, 2018 comes campfire. Yeah. Tell us about that. So (laughs) I say that like, oh, that's just like going to the store. Tell us about that day, Brian. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was interesting because Owen, our youngest, yes, in eighth grade, and he's going to my school. We always took our kids up up the hill to go to my school, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then they come back down here and go to Chico High. So Owen was a seventh grader, and you know he'd been there for a year and just a couple months, and so we were leaving, and Cassie wife looked out the window and saw this big plume of smoke up behind paradise and she said wow that looks like a big fire but it's not uncommon to see fires around paradise yeah so it's kind of like yeah and i've gotten over the 24 years or whatever it was to be able to say that's not that's past paradise so it's like we'll just go to school see what happens sometimes school gets called because of smoke on those fire days, not because there's a fire danger, but it's just too smoky. So <clears throat> we left, got in the car. Um, interesting part of this is um, I always buy gas in Paradise because it was always cheaper. Yeah. So I was getting pretty low, and I thought, well, I'll get gas when I get up there. So drove up there, went to a gas station on the way, and it was smoky, and it was getting a little dark, and it was kind of like, okay, we're not going to have school today. Yeah. Went to a gas station, and there were like 
you know, 15 cars in line to get gas. Oh. I thought, okay, I'm not going there. <laughs> so drove up to school, which is just a mile away or something, and then got there. And it was at that point that there was like stuff starting to fall from the sky, like little pieces of uh, burnt wood and stuff like that. Kind of like hail. It wasn't bad, but it was, you know, it was coming down. So those are some pieces that it's like hail. Pieces, yeah, of trees and houses and whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and it was being carried on this massive wind that was it was spreading the fire that they spread. So we get to school and everybody's kind of standing around out front. So my school is really small. We have 156 kids and okay. and our little quad area is, you know, most houses wouldn't even fit in our quad area. And so um, all the teachers are standing out front. And there's only a few kids there before school started. Our choir kids were there because it was a zero period thing. So there were probably six kids there that hadn't been picked up by parents yet. And these things started, you know, that stuff starts coming down from the sky. And I'm thinking, we just need to get out of here. I mean, yeah. This is nuts because I know that those things were on fire when they were traveling through the sky. And it's like, it's going to start fires all over the place. So uh, we decided to sit tight and wait a bit because we still couldn't see a whole lot of smoke. There was smoke way up high, but we couldn't, it wasn't like it was near. Yeah. So then uh, I was getting text messages from Cassie, from my wife, and she was saying, she was watching TV and it was like this part of paradise is evacuated. That part of Parad paradise is evacuated. Mm. And she told me this part of paradise is evacuated. And it was on way on this side of town. And then this other part of paradise is evacuated. And it was on the non-fire side of town. But the middle part hadn't been evacuated yet. Is that where you guys are in the middle? We're kind of in the middle. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and I'm like, why are they evacuating that place when that's the fire's coming from over there and that's because that's the way the fire spread okay and so then she's like five minutes later all of paradise is evacuated oh like, oh <laughs> and i'm still here <laughs> wrote uh leave sooner rather than later <laughs> yeah please with our son yeah exactly and so i just looked at my principal and said i gotta get out of here because i got owen with me and he's like yeah go so we took off and driving through town and there were cars on the road and, and some people were getting ready to leave. So I drove, there's, there's three ways out of town, three roads that go downhill out of town. And, um, and our school's on one of those. So I drove down Clark road and I get to the road where you turn right to go to the skyway, which is the main way out of town. That's the way that goes right to Chico. And, uh, I'm like, there's a bunch of cars turning right to go that way. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't think I want to go where all those cars are going. I look straight down Clark Road, which goes out to Butte College, out kind of toward Oroville, toward Durham. And I saw no cars and I saw blue sky and I just went straight. And I was home in 30 minutes. Uh, 15 minutes after that decision was what you saw on TV. Just, just black like night and people driving through flames and nobody knew if they were going to survive. Oh, so I was like, I God. just missed that by just a few minutes. If so, yeah. Do you think about home. that? What's that? Do you think about that? Do you, do you have like, oh, oh yeah. And did it's Owen, of, was it always nervous? My, I call it a moment of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> I just, 
And it was interesting because I just, I had been praying. It's like, I need to get Owen out of here and I need to get out of here. Yeah. This is not looking good. And, um, and it was just kind of like, that way looks better. That means it is better. Right? Yeah. It was just this clear thing. And I knew what, I knew what the sky was going to be looking like. So that's what that day was like. And then I started to hear from my colleagues, just like, I kept calling them, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. And driving out of the parking lot that day, you know, Owen and I, I was, I just thought, I'm never going to see. <laughs> They're gone. Yeah. So it, it was just hard. I bet. I bet. I can't, um, I can't imagine what that must have been like to, to yeah. be in that situation. And then to be at, to have your son with you, was he yeah. picking up on that with you as well? I don't, Owen's interesting in that he, he just processes everything pretty thoroughly and yeah. pretty well. Yeah. So I've asked him, it's like, what was that day like for you? And he's like, well, got out. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he understands the magnitude of it, but yeah, I don't think he's, he's not the kind of person to sit back and go, oh my gosh, we just dodged the bullet and, you know, have it freak him out. But, um, but I was aware of that. I was aware that yeah. those could go really sideways really fast. And yeah. So when I, uh, so yeah, leaving the place, I was like, I'm never going to see these guys again. It's just, it's just over. Never going to see my school again. Do I have a job? You know, all of that. Yeah. And then of all of the buildings that are gone, you know, because I think I told you that like now I've been doing research and uh, like 18,000 structures in paradise obliterated, like yep. 3% of the structures of the whole entire town are all that are left standing. Yeah. And part of that is your school that is yeah. left. Yeah. The post office is right next to our school. The church that's right in front of our school. We lease our land from a church. Yeah. And that complex was saved mostly because the janitor for the church has kept putting out all these spot fires around there. And by himself? Yeah, one other guy, yeah. Oh my gosh. And then about a hundred wow. people ended up converging on this massive parking lot by the church because there were no trees around it. And they all survived there till like nine or ten that night and they got rescued. So it's just there's a lot of stories like that. Yeah. They uh he broke into our little snack shed that our student council runs so people could have some food and some Gatorade and stuff. Way to go. He's, <laughs> he's all he's so funny because he goes, I'll I'll pay for that stuff. It's like, no, oh. you're not gonna pay for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so way to go breaking into the snack shed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was just that's that was the kind of vibe you know and then and then we just left the area it was like man i don't even know i didn't even know what to do at that point so I just went to my brothers chilled out and of course the air was horrible there too yes and so it was funny because one of my nephews says what is all this and i go this is paradise falling <laughs> on your town it, and that was literally true 
So, so is that where you were? Because when, because you and I were texting back and forth at one point too. And yeah, I was saying, we okay, were probably at my brother's house. You yeah. were at your brother's house. Okay. And I was saying, come to our house. And you were like, we're okay. But I feel like you were back home then. Get so we left of- Thursday evening. We left about nine o'clock Thursday night. Okay. Uh, got to my brother's about midnight. Um, and by then Chico was nuts. I had to get, I still had to get gas. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I waited in line for 30 minutes to get gas in Chico. And then we took off and went to my brother's. And uh, we came back Saturday okay. morning, though, and got back. And, you know, the reality of the whole thing starts to hit. And and then we just, you know, over the 23 years I had been up there at the time, I, I know hundreds of people up there. Yes. And it's like, we've got a spare room. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody needs it. And. So we, it just became that. It was about helping however we could. Yeah. Now you're just yeah. reaching out saying, what can we do? What can we do? Right. Like the world was at that time, which I remember talking to you about where you were like. "If It is full of clothes. Yeah. Nobody knows what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard, right? Everybody's yeah. just dying to do something. And yeah. Yeah. I think we understood that soon after a disaster that looting starts and we have a lot of valuable equipment at the school and we just decided we needed to get back up there and just get it in case something happened okay but so that was probably a week and a day or two after the fire called the cop friend of mine he got us so that we could go in but at that point the national guard was there so we come up upon this check station and at the beginning of town and you know with the guy with the, with the automatic rifle and the Humvee with the 50 caliber machine gun on it and wow and so we had gotten cleared to go in and they were supposed to escort us to the school but i think everybody was just overwhelmed and they knew that we were legit so they just said go take as long as you need just leave you don't have to check back in and come back so it's nice to it's nice to be known, guys. Right. Nice to have a good reputation. <laughs> so we just went up there with a U-Haul truck and just grabbed all this stuff, like all our Chromebooks and all the kind of audiovisual stuff that we had up there and anything that we thought we might use to teach. Yes. Because we knew we were probably going to start teaching someplace else, not in that building. So there was no power in Paradise at that point. I mean, everything was gone power poles there was no electricity driving through town that day was surreal because it was like a war had just happened so it's you know piles of rubble and melted steel and some of the some of the buildings were still smoldering and you know smoke coming off of them and um i think the weirdest thing for me though was come across a, you know multiple houses that have burned down and there's cars everywhere yeah. cars in the street and all that stuff was still there, and but they had started looking for for survivors and for bodies. So when you came across a car that had a red X painted on the door, that means the car was checked and there was no body in it. Gotcha. So I was just kind of like, wow, this is serious. And at that point, no, everyone thought there were going to be thousands of people that were killed, and there were a couple thousand people missing. Right. And so. We're driving through this, just going, holy cow, look at this place. It's right. just, 
But then there's whole pockets of town, the downtown area of Paradise. It's still there. It's like nothing ever happened to it. It's weird. Fire Everything is around so it crazy. is just gone, level. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, our kids saw, our students saw. And most of them had experiences of driving through the flames, the kind of stuff you saw on TV. And, yeah. Um, so, and not knowing where their parents were, they lost pets or horses or you know, whatever. So. Yeah. It started to hit us that this is not, uh, we don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> That's, we don't know how to do this. And mm-hmm. so we just had to figure it out. It's two days after the fire, we got together and started calling all our families, you know, find out who was alive, who was dead. And when you say you got together, you, your, your staff. Yeah. All the okay. teachers and staff, three of whom, three of eight had lost their houses. Wow. So even of the, even those teachers had like climbed on board and said, okay, let, or wow. Because yep. I was just thinking it's striking to me that, I mean, just a few days had gone by and you're in this situation because I know that we all, we were all, I say we all, I think as a lot of us, especially if you were living in Northern California at the time, and for our listeners, I know at this point I have listeners all over the place, but I really feel like this was a national thing as well. You were watching this unfold on TV, and if not, um, I know most of the world watched the Twin Towers fall, and just for perspective, I looked up, they took away more debris from the campfire, from you guys, from the Paradise Fire, than they took away after 9-11. And that really put it into perspective for me. I mean, there was an immense amount of debris, as you're saying. Like, when you're driving around and you're looking at the cars in the building, 18,000 structures is immense. That just... And so thinking of that in my head and the fact that you guys were already... You (laughs) went back in with the national guard to think like, okay, we've got to grab our stuff because yeah. we, we got to get yeah. on this and, and think about teaching. Were you thinking, get the kids back into normalcy? Were you thinking like, tell me about the thought process of where your heads were going for the kids there. I don't, I don't think I remember. <laughs> you were just like, okay, um, I got to get there. It was weird because we all just came together and decided to just do this. It wasn't like, I don't think there was a long-term goal. It was like, okay, I don't even know how to say it. We just, okay, we're going to do this. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. We knew that having contact with them was important because we wanted to know where everyone was. Yeah. And if they were okay. So, you know, as far as any kind of, oh, we're going to get the school back together. It's like, I mean, obviously that's true, but we weren't really thinking that way at the time. I don't think. No, you know what, what you just said makes perfect sense. The coming together and having contact with them being the driving goal makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that being the goal. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's the culture of our school. It's like, it's all about personal contact and relationships and, and, uh, you know, I'm teaching the kids of my former students now. So it's, it's about, uh, it's it's really just about forming those relationships. Yeah. And it, you know, it means something to us. Yeah. Oh, that's how you know that you're a freaking good teacher, Brian Faith. That's how I know. 
love to know you're out there. That's when I want to say thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and we, we're going to talk to kids, as I said earlier, we're going to talk to kids about their experience um, next week. I'm curious what kind of care, if any, did you guys get as teachers? For, like I, I hear you saying like we wanted to get to the kids and contact them. Did you as teachers or the staff, was anybody, was there even any ability to like gather you guys up and say like, how are you doing? Like what's happening with you guys? Yeah, it wasn't so much that as, so um, Butte County Office of Education was really good at letting us know that that they're doing all they can. So yeah. what they did initially, probably within a week or two after the fire, they organized a few events where we could go and they'd have a psychologist come in and talk to us about trauma and secondary trauma and what it's like even if you didn't lose anything or, you know, like me, I lived in Chico and most of our teachers live in Chico, didn't lose all this, but um, you're going to be around a lot of people who did. And there's a specific kind of trauma that affects the people who are around the people who have lost everything. And, and I, it was very clearly stated to us what that was going to look like and that it was unavoidable. And I believed it, but did, and then kind of stopped paying attention to it, I think. You know, I remember thinking about it all the time. Oh, yeah, secondary trauma. I got to watch out for that. I got to watch out for that. But it's one of those things that, like, it creeps up really slowly, I think. And by the time, uh, you know, after a year or so, I'd been around these guys for so long, I'd kind of steeled myself to it, probably. And But it was, yeah, I, I think, I think... We got everything we needed. Yeah. But short of, you know, having a counselor for every five teachers. Right. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what else could have been done. We just had to go through it. And then that doesn't count the teachers who lost everything and were also around all the kids who lost everything. Right. Every day. So, um, and there was a lot of that too. Right. And, and those counselors were probably part of the people who were affected. It was probably, I'm just pictured as being like this, like insidious circle of like expanding. It was so yeah. far reaching. Did they yeah, bring exactly. in counselors from outside the area or was it everybody was just from within the area? Like, Yeah, how? it was from outside the area. Okay. And that, that lasted for, so we were out of school from the 8th until December 3rd. Okay. We went back, and, wow. but we didn't go back in paradise. We borrowed classrooms from another charter school down here in Chico. Okay. Um, uh, but at first, from December 3rd until Christmas break, we were teaching all our classes inside a gym. Like the basketball bleachers were our classroom. So I had right. a class here right next to the, me, and the bleachers was another class. <laughs> We did that for weeks. It was awful. Oh my gosh, I hated that time. I was just gonna say, let's compare that now to Google Meet. Like, what's more distracting? <laughs> Holy moly! Although these, yeah, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. But it, yeah, I prefer this, but not by much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the the teacher that was 
right behind me on the other side of the basketball court in the gym. Yeah. He'd come like dressed like a pirate and stuff. And so my, I'm trying to actually do an activity with my kids and they're like, Hey, look at Palmer. He's over there dressed like a pirate. (laughs) So anyway, during that time we had a counselor that had volunteered her time service who came up from, I think the San Diego area. Okay. And just stayed with somebody up here because there were no hotel rooms because all the hairdress people were in all the hotel rooms. Okay. And she was at our school every day and was checking in with us and, you know, seeing if we had any names of kids who were showing any signs of real trouble and then pulling each one of us aside and going, how about you? How are you doing? Okay. So, and that was provided by Butte County Office of Ed. So I think they did a real good job of, um, of bringing that kind of help together. Okay. And then, but at the same time, we were all just kind of head down survival mode, not thinking about, well, how's this affecting me right now? It's, right. It's like, well, I got a job to do kind of a thing. Right. When we come back, we will talk to Brian further about what he did to acknowledge his own secondary trauma and the steps he took to move forward. He also shares how he thinks teachers can release stress. We would like to thank Upstarter Podcast Network for sponsoring our podcast today. Chase Mitchell with Upstarter Podcast Network can help you produce, edit, and launch your podcast from his super cool studio where I'm sitting right now. I love his vision and I love his strategic mindset. If you want to start a podcast and don't know how to get started, you need to reach out to Chase today. Check out upstarterpods.com for more info. Let's talk about the trauma that you guys go through. Because every day, Brian, I know teachers are in it. You're in the trenches every single day and you see these kids We've talked about the fact that the A scores in Butte County are higher or among the highest in the nation. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, because I've talked to, and we've got friends that live in Iowa. We've got friends that live on the East Coast. We've got friends that are teaching in Ridgecrest. We've got friends that are teaching in Southern California. And if we were a live show right now, I think they would be calling in saying, ah, my A scores are this and our A scores are that. I mean, they're just like, we could probably do a fight over whose A scores are the highest, right? Like our kids in this nation are dealing with some stuff. They've got layers. And for our listeners that are listening, A scores are um, adverse childhood events. And that basically means that they're dealing with Name some events yeah, that it, like it, it's parental divorce, it's right. living with an addict, living with an right. alcoholic, it's grandma's abuse, taking whether, care of you now, yeah, neglect. So, I always put it this way um, if you want to look at a kid who's got an astronomical ACE score, it's Harry Potter, right? Yes, I love it, this. Yes, go ahead. It starts with as an infant watching his parents be murdered by the the origin of all evil and then he has a physical scar left yes. and then it gets worse from there. Yes. Yeah. Like, wow. So yeah. And kids, you know, before the fire, we have all these kids living up in paradise who 
are in these environments where every single day there there's another ace there's another ace yeah. there's another ace yeah and then the fire and then their family's inability to deal with the world is exacerbated by the fact that everything just burned yeah. and they can't they didn't have the ability to figure out how to deal with their emotional issues before and now they've got they can't even feed themselves yeah so you know a lot of that stuff just spiraled out of control for some of these kids and and even if you take out the fire if you're a teacher and you're around a population of kids who most of them have these issues that they're dealing with every day they're not eating breakfast they're not you know whatever it is you are doing the same thing that we were doing after the fire but just not so intense but it's more like this slow burn yeah you know, it's like you're dealing with these people who are traumatized these kids and and that is going to give you secondary trauma which affects your ability to think it affects your ability to feel what's what you really should be feeling and and you need to be paying attention to that and and making sure that you're taking care of yourself because if you don't you can't take care of anybody else and this is what i wanted was hoping that you would share with us can you share with us a little bit about your kind of stepping through how that kind of snuck up on you the secondary trauma. Yeah. I, 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 when I look back on it now, I feel like I knew, you know, I knew, oh man, this is not, I'm not dealing with this, but man, who's got time. Right. Yeah. And, because you're taking care of everyone. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, I got a family and I got a mortgage and I got a, you know, I got all this other stuff and my cars break down and you know, it's like, um, so the bottom line for me is, I think the way it affected me or the ways I knew it was affecting me was I've always been a cyclist and I've always ridden my bike, you know, I don't know, two or three times a week, four times a week, maybe. Um, and I was always like, I'm going to try to, if I didn't ride 25 or 30 miles, I didn't feel like I'd actually ridden. Yeah. Like it wasn't and worth I always it. Tried to go 18 to 20 miles per hour. So I, it was, you know, I did it for fitness, but I did it for fun, but I also did it to challenge myself. Right. And when all this happened, that just went away. And, you know, sometimes there would be times like in the winter time, I would, it would drop way off because I don't like the rain and I don't like to be cold. So, yeah. but I would always get back into it. Um, so when this happened, that just stopped. I just, I didn't even get on a bike. And, and also my eating was, had gone bad. I didn't, I don't think I ate worse, but I ate more yeah. was stress eating. And I was, you know, um, so I knew I didn't feel good yeah. and I was winded real easily. And, you know, I'd be singing the opening hymn at church, you know, and processing up the aisle and I'd get to the altar and it'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm not really able to sing because I'm winded from that yeah. you know, 50 foot walk nah. <laughs> and going up the flight of stairs, you know, and it wasn't like I was you know, ready to pass out, but it was just like, oh my gosh, I totally feel going up those stairs. Right. I never had that. You're gassed, yeah. So that was the, I knew that was happening. And I kind of went, okay, I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to get back to that. And of course, you know how that goes. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Yes. So, um, but the thing that really showed me where I was mentally and intellectually, um, emotionally, I felt like I was okay. But the thing that, got my attention was we had we had uh, converted our garage to a 
a family room. And there were three doorways that we were going to put barn doors up. And so I was going to make the barn doors. That's the kind of stuff I love to do. And I was going to make all the steel tracks and all the, everything. That's and amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I went on YouTube and like everybody does and figured it out. And I started building these things and it took me all summer. It should have taken me a week. And yeah. I get to the point where I'm supposed to cut, you know, 10 boards all the exact same length and three of them would be wrong. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the heck? And I get mad at myself and, and I just leave it for weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah. It's, my garage is full of this project rather than my cars, which is, you know, it's not the way I normally am. Yeah. So by the end of the summer, I decided, okay, I'm just going to bear down and get this done and whatever, make the mistakes I'm going to make and buy the extra steel I have to buy or whatever it is. And so I got it done and it's fine. And then I realized, yeah, that's, that's secondary trauma. That's, that's, the physical thing is kind of this really easy thing to recognize, but that intellectual effect on me was the insidious part. Yeah. The and cognitive so processing. To, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, what, what can I do about this? You know, yeah. am I going to have to go into counseling forever or whatever? And I thought, well, I'm going to address the thing that's easiest for me. That is the exercise and the eating. So I just don't eat as much now. And, um, and I ride my bike. And I had to change my mind about why I ride my bike and how I ride my bike. So now it's like, if I ride for 30 minutes, I feel like that's, that's fine. So I don't do a distance anymore. I do time. I'm going to ride for 30 minutes. If I can ride for 40 minutes, that's better. If I can yeah. ride for an hour, that's better. And then rather than pay attention to my miles per hour, I pay attention to my pedal cadence. So how many yeah. RPMs are my pedals turning? And I keep it between 80 and 90. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the speed is. Right. So, and that's just, it's like taking that level of intensity that I used to put on myself off. And then that's helped me to say, okay, I'm going to feel better on my bicycle if I don't eat two desserts. Or <laughs> the classic last summer was, um, I can have a beer or ice cream, but not both. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so... I just started making those choices just one at a time yeah. without putting a lot of pressure on myself. And, you know, of the 25 pounds I gained, I've lost 15 of them. Fantastic. And I feel better. And then the intellectual thing, of course, we know as you become more physically active and more healthy, your brain works better. Yes. So it's kind of all taking care of itself now. So it's just an important thing for teachers to remember. And teachers are notoriously, um, bad at letting the things go that they can't control notoriously bad what do you mean by that explain that a little bit more so i think teachers feel like in general if if they got a kid who's got some issue and that issue isn't being solved by the efforts that the teacher's putting into it yeah that the teacher is failing the kid yeah and it's like that's not true yeah. that the world is failing that kid and maybe that kid is failing himself yeah. or herself and and we got to understand that there's two parts to teaching and there's two parts to helping people one is i teach kids are supposed to learn there's a part where i have to hand off the learning process to them and they have to do it if they're not doing it for whatever reason that's not on me i can maybe reach out and help them but that may mean that i put them in touch with somebody who can help them better than i can right teachers tend to feel like 
I think there's a tendency among teachers to feel like we got to do all that. Yeah. And it's just, it's a bad spot to be in because you end up being as a teacher, the people that I see, you know, when I go to teacher conferences, I see this exodus of, of these stereotypical teachers, you know, kind of overweight, stressed out, carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, you know, walking into a conference. When you think about a conference, right? You don't need a lot, maybe a laptop, something to write on, something to write with. And I see teachers pulling these rolling carts with like 50 pounds of stuff in there. You know, it's like they're just carrying this. It's like this metaphor for for all that they've taken on to themselves. Interesting. And it's like it's like you don't have to do that. You can you've gotta let you gotta let the stuff go that you can't control. And that's where the education system doesn't serve teachers. Yeah. There isn't really a mechanism inherent in our education world that tells teachers um, it's unhealthy for you to take on too much. And here's how you guard against that. That's, yes. that's a big failure. I think it is. There's because I would think like we were just saying the there's these secondary traumas that you guys are dealing with every day. Yeah. Aren't going to get any better. No. It, and they pile up. The yeah. research shows that they pile up on top of each other. They pile up and and teachers were stressed out before. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. guys, you, you guys yeah. you guys were probably stressed out before the fire and before yeah. COVID and before you figured out, you know, found out that you were gonna be teaching on Google Meet or, you know, over yeah. here Zoom. It's like and so then I'm just like, what are we doing for teachers? What if you had a perfect world, if you had a request, like, what do you think, knowing what you know now, I mean, you just said a lot of great stuff, like, um, you know, eating right and putting one step in front of the other and, and taking your exercise in little steps, you know, you're kind of recovering little by little, but if, yeah. what do you think would be a perfect world to help teachers that are stressed out right now? and moving through what we're moving through. So I'll back up and say that um, I think that the way teachers are certificated mm -hmm. is a major part of the problem. Oh, and, yeah. And I'll premise that, I'll give you my premise for that, which okay. is I don't think that you can teach someone how to be a great teacher. I think. Especially over Zoom. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And so a person wants to be a teacher for a lot of different reasons, right? And yeah. um, it would be great if there was a way for, I think there are ways, to, it's a different topic, but I think there are ways for credential programs to figure out who's got the best temperament to be a teacher. Yeah. Because almost half of teachers burn out in five years. Right. That means they're not, that's not their thing. And right. we should have been able to guide them toward that yeah. earlier than that. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is, um, I think it could be as simple as if every single school had their stable of veteran, effective teachers, you know, who aren't burned out and aren't all negative and, 
and they become these mentors for younger people, especially the first year, first five year teachers and just give them, don't like do a bunch of stuff for them, but be a sounding board for them. And then, you know, you go out for beer, you go out for coffee or whatever. And, you, and, you know, a person like me or a person like Todd would be real good at, okay, I'm not going to tell you how to accomplish all these tasks and how to grade or how to, you know, how to assign stuff or prepare for lessons. I'm going to tell you how to think clearly about how to be effective at those things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you how, how I think clearly about balancing between school and home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, cause there's gotta be a point in every teacher's day where they stop working. Mm-hmm. And there's for too many teachers, there's not that mm-hmm. point. It just goes on. They always on. feel like either they're still doing the work or they're feeling bad because they didn't do the work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, gotta let go of that. Because yeah. then you become stressed out, then you are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. So there needs to be a way for the education machine to to help um, maintain itself, so that you don't lose all these good people. Yeah. And, and and when we do that, and I think this is something we learned after the fire. It's like we didn't teach a whole lot after the fire. Yeah. Um, but. We were a place where kids could um, come and, okay, this is as close to what I used to have as possible, right? It was pretty normal, normalcy. The state gave us the option to not take the standardized test at the end of the fire year. And I was like, and we just decided, I want to take it. I want them to take it. I want to see how well they do. And so their scores were exactly the same as they were the year before. Interesting. So they missed all this education, but they maintained their ability to think their way through that test. And it's like, so that it tells me something about the resilience of people in general and kids, especially. And also that um, we created an environment and we were in some ways very fortunate, but in some ways very deliberate at creating an environment where kids can relax a bit the stresses of their day because when they got home they were going home some of them were driving to roseville every day from roseville to our school in chico back to roseville or quincy or you know red bluff and a lot of those people were living in trailers and you know it was just a mess but we created this spot where they didn't have to hear about fema they didn't have to hear about pg and e they didn't have to hear about um insurance they didn't have to um, be around their parents stress yeah you could just just be that be who you are at school and it's fine and by the way if you're having a hard time getting this assignment done tell me you can have more time (laughs) so it didn't wasn't necessarily the focus wasn't on do 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 but more just like it was empathetic it would came down yeah yeah just be just yeah. being what's going on. And I think that was really valuable. And it was funny because my son, Owen, you know, he went back and was with all his buddies, you know, after the fire. And I said to him later, I was like, this fact is after we started talking a couple weeks ago, I, I said to him, so when you were at school after the fire and you're hanging out with your buddies, did you talk about the fire? He goes, no. Nah. I go like, never. He goes, eh, every once in a while, but not really. What'd you talk about? We talked about gaming. We talked about, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's just 
wanted to be normal and and we gave them a place to be that if you translate that into the everyday school environment that's not affected by a massive trauma like that but has trauma because each individual kid is bringing that yeah and you create an environment where kids can feel like they're leaving the stresses of that of the rest of the world behind and they are uh and they're able to focus on something else yeah one it's a break from all that and number two they start to anticipate getting into this space in their minds and in their hearts where they can just learn yeah and it's like and it's got to work better right <laughs> yeah so I think that that makes it makes a lot of sense to me from from a kid's point of view. It also makes me think from a teacher's point of view, they they do they need a break to leave like you're saying to leave the stresses of the job behind. Like you're saying they need that break to not be in it all the time. Do you think they need a break during the the day like some sort of because I just picture them having to be on all day, every day, like even, you know, from 730 or whatever it is to 315 or who knows what it is now that there's Zoom. You know, maybe yeah. there's teacher making Zoom appointments till nine or 10. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I I wonder about that break for them as well. Yeah, I think. Um, in your perfect world. Yeah. Um, if gave a teacher and we're supposed to have prep periods right yeah you know what my prep period is almost every day on their drive uh, listening to music or watching just funny stuff on youtube or whatever i actually just take a break from it and it's the last period of the day and that means that when i'm done listening to my music uh oh you know me yeah loud yep mm -hmm. when school's over then I got another hour, hour and a half in me to do some work, to do you know, prep work or grading or yeah. whatever it is. But most teachers, I think, um, use their prep to do more work yeah. to, and that adds to their stress. And then they're less effective, so it takes longer to do the work, so they end up taking it home. Yeah. And then they are. So I think in the perfect world, if you could give a break, and teachers use it as a break. Learning to step away. Work. Yeah. I think what I tell teachers, and I've had a few student teachers now, I tell them, it's like, look, man, nobody's going to do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. Yeah. You have to be the one that's looking out for you. And that means you pick the time that's most effective for you and you're not working anymore. You can't. You have to stop and you have to be with your family or play music or play baseball, whatever it is that you do for fun. Forget about school, forget about the kids, forget about the problems that they have. It's hard. It's a challenge. Yeah. But you have to be the one to do that. You're an adult. You're a professional. Professionals know how to leave their job behind. It's yeah. time to. So the reality is we as teachers have to figure out how to get all that stuff for ourselves. Yeah. Is that it's probably not fair, but um, I don't know how you change the mind of the really smart people that decide what education should look like and how you uh, get, change the paradigm under which we work. 
I don't know how you do that. And I don't think the union is the answer because the stuff that they fight for doesn't make sense to me either. And Interesting. It's like they're usually fighting for money, and that's not the solution. The solution is creating, really creating an environment where teachers and students are working together to get something done, and parents too. So I don't know how to affect that change, but I know how to affect that change in me, and I know how to guide other people to affect yeah. that change in themselves, and I think it's got to start there. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is what would make teachers happy is just still working with kids. You're Again, what makes you a freaking good teacher, Brian Faith, is like everything just comes back to just more working with the kids and yeah. having parents on board and, and, and sit- figure out how to have fun yeah. doing it. That's what I've always loved about Todd. It's like the guy has fun doing whatever he does, right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> and so to me it's like second grade, third grade, whatever grade he's teaching kindergarten is like I know there's gonna be a lot of fun and when he makes a mistake or some other kid makes a mistake, it's gonna be laughed about. Not yeah. laughed at, but laughed about. And it's like if we don't do that, we're just setting ourselves up for for heartache. And you just see it too often. You know, we teach kids by our example to take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And and if we give them some room to do the right thing, a lot of times they will. If they do the wrong thing, we gotta absolutely hold them accountable to that. But um but you gotta give them a chance to figure it out too. Yeah. Maybe that's why this whole thing comes down is uh we just need to give the kids as we come back to school a place to be, not take it too dang seriously, <laughs> and uh, ease up on all of the need for homework and all of that a little bit. And um, teachers need to take a deep breath with apps and technology, and it's all going to work out fine. It's all going to yeah. be good. You're awesome, my friend. Thank you so much for um, sharing all these stories and all of your wisdom and everything. Yeah, I'm glad. So, as you know, I always like to wrap up with nuggets that our guests offer us. And Brian had such a compelling story to listen to with everything they went through with the campfire. But I do want to bring through, it's not a but, but uh, I do want to bring through his advice on what teachers can do when they are going through not just stressful times on day-to-day basis, but if they find themselves facing secondary trauma as well. Brian was slow to realize his own secondary trauma and whether he could have noticed it any sooner, who knows? That's the thing with trauma. Who knows if he could have noticed it any sooner or done anything about it any sooner But when he did pick up on the signs, he offered himself some grace, right? He he said like, okay, like I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. And then he took small steps with his health. He knew he would feel better if he improved his diet. And so I think he said like he was offered himself like, okay, you can have beer, ice cream, you can't have both. So not like slamming yourself all at once, but just baby steps, little steps at a time. And he did the same thing with his exercise. He 
instead of beating himself up about the cycling, like get back, like I used to do that. He took small steps with his exercise because small steps are better than no steps. This reminds me of the conversation that we had with McKinley Stoller as well when she was talking about trying to fight her way out of anxiety and depression. It goes to those small steps. Like, what do you think you can do today? You know, we don't have to bite off the whole pie all at once. Just what can you do today? Um, with his students, I thought this was amazing that these teachers were able to draw together to offer them a place to be. And I'm wondering how healing that probably was, not just for the students, but also for the teachers and the staff as well. Creating that sense of community for all of them, a place to be and to just be in contact with each other. It just sounds so powerful. And to focus not just on instruction, really, but rather on community and on support for each other, just going back to empathy that we were talking about earlier. Uh, he also mentioned that if teachers could have a stable pool of mentor teachers available to draw from to help both new and seasoned teachers, that that would be helpful, again, on that daily basis that of stress that teachers are facing. And then for teachers, he offers that they are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and they don't need to, to go ahead and release it, that it's okay to participate in the career of teaching for set hours and then hand over the responsibility of learning to the student and their families. We all do that with our regular jobs, right? Everybody works for their set hours and then somehow maybe set a little timer. Insight Timer has great timers. We all have nice little chimes and different things that we can set now on our phones or our computers. I don't know if that would be helpful, but maybe if there's some sort of nice little bong that you can set that says like, okay, I'm going to turn it off now. I don't know. It sounds wonderful. I don't know if it'll work. I would love to hear from some of you if it will actually work for you. Our podcast today is brought to us by Let's All Flourish, a health and wellness company impacting wellness for families around the world. Join our next accountability group, Start Making Some Changes and Flourishing. Let's All Flourish at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brian Faith. If you are experiencing anxiety or depression or feelings of hopelessness, please reach out for professional care immediately. Don't wait. Next week, we will talk to two of Brian's former students, Tori and Ava, about their experiences with the campfire. We will catch up with them and their thoughts on what students can do to weather trauma and go on and flourish. 